We are in the fourth week of our series of the exchange life in Christ. We have found that so far that the Christian life is not a method or a technique. It's none of those things. The reality of the Christian life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. So our subject this morning is, does God matter? Well, if you're a born-again Christian, you're going to say, of course he does. He matters a lot. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And if I would ask you, does the Bible matter to you? You'd say, of course it does. It's our rule. It's, it, it, it's our way of life. The Bible is the revealed word of God. And so this morning, we're going to see the importance of understanding the truth about Jesus Christ and how we live out the Christian life. And so, according to Galatians 2.20, it says, Not I, but Christ lives in me. Now, I don't know what goes through your mind when you hear that. Christ lives in me. How does that really work? I mean, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, but I don't understand exactly how that works. Christ living in me. So once again... We're going to go with, there's, there's a text that I have used each, each one of these meetings, and I will use it again next week when I talk about the judgment and rewards. There's so much confusion about the judgment and rewards, and so we're going to try to get that straightened out. But here, for the fourth time, we're going to look at Ezekiel 36, 26. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament. God gave him a revelation, a a prophecy that what would take place when Jesus Christ died on the cross and send the Holy Spirit. So this is what he says. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So once again, we find out here that God is going to do something to us. Now, in Joel, the Bible says the Holy Spirit's been poured out upon all flesh. So if this is true, which I believe it is, that God has committed to try to reach every man, woman, and child ever born and will be born with the gospel. Now, some of you may have been brought up in a Christian home, and so you had an advantage. You heard about Christ since you were that high. Some of these children are going in there, and they're going to sing this song, This Little Light of Mine. They're going to sing, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know For, The Bible Tells Me So. And so they're going to grow up understanding that. Those of us who didn't grow up that way, then we had a more difficult time understanding this religious world. Now, we look at it and we say, I don't understand it. One God, we got one Bible, we're all reading out of the same Bible, and yet we have 300 different denominations. And they're all claiming that what they, their understanding of the Bible is accurate. And some of them go so far as to say that if you don't believe it exactly the way we believe it, there's no hope for you. And so there's a lot of doctrinal differences as we look at the Christian church today. When I was an evangelist, I used to preach a message called, Why So Many Different Denominations? And there are indeed way too many different denominations as far as I'm concerned. So in verse 27, he says this, <clears throat> I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Now here God is saying that, and this is what happened. The Holy Spirit's been poured out upon all flesh. God reached out to you in, what, in many, many different ways. For me, personally, I just got out of the Marine Corps 
and I was very confused, and I was going through a lot of head games and everything else like that. I was not a Christian. And I can remember laying in the jungle in another foreign land, in a foreign land, and I said, God, if you're out there, if it's true, I don't, I don't know that it is, but if it is, if you would get me out of here alive, I would change. And I came out alive, and I did change. I got worse. I drank more, did everything worse. And finally, I came to the place that I could hardly live with myself. And so I got so low that I could only look up. And I said, God, if, if, it's, if, if you're there, then I, I, I need help. I, I can't make it like this. And so here's what happened. And here's what happened to every little boy or girl. Every, it doesn't make any difference what age you are, whether you're 50, 60, 70, 80 years old, it doesn't make any difference. When you come to the place where life isn't working, you ask God somehow, whether you know God or not, somehow you simply ask him, life is not working. I, I, I don't get it. I need some sort of help. And here's exactly what takes place. The Bible says that he will give you a new heart. And so there's a surgery that's done. He opens you up. And the Bible says he takes that heart of stone out. And he gives you a new heart of flesh. And then he says that he puts his spirit in that heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit. And so from your core, you are everything that God wants you to be. You'll spend the rest of your life here on earth maturing, learning, developing. But from your core, you do not want to sin. Do you sin? Yes, you do. Do you want to? No, you don't. You don't want to sin. And you go through that whole exercise that Paul went through. I don't understand it, he said. I, I, I really don't. He says, the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do. I just don't understand what's wrong with me. And then he goes, but it's not me. It's not me. It's sin that dwells within the body. And so Jesus Christ comes by and he says, not to worry. When I come back, I will give you a new body that will match that already perfect core, that perfect heart that you already have. Now, the questions that believers have, if that's true, how come I don't feel perfect? If that's true, why do I still sin? If that's true, why? Why am I like I am at times? Why do I think these thoughts? I don't understand it. And so we go through this process. But the Bible says that when you have asked him to come in, you are born again. You are born of the Spirit. You are born of God. You are born again. You have been made alive to Christ. And so, if you are a Christian, and, and you believe that Jesus Christ has given you that born-again experience, then you will spend every moment of your life here on earth Asking God to live in you and through you. In Philippians 1.21, the Bible says here, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When you accepted Jesus Christ, you were fused in him. You were united in him. You are safe and secure in him. This is what the Bible proclaims. And after you've gone through this experience, you'll be like Paul. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But Ephesians 1.13 says this. In him you also. Now notice the process here. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation. Having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. So here's what took place. God opened you up, gave you a new heart. He gave you the Holy Spirit. And then when you understood this, he sealed you unto the day of redemption. Sealed you completely. You are safe and secure in him. This morning, I want us to see the true spiritual content of the gospel. Because here the Bible says that listening to the message of truth. Now, it's interesting that out of the 300 different denominations that we have, there's one text that is used in almost every church. The preacher will get up and he'll say, the truth will set you free. And you would think that the Holy Spirit, and then, they, then they'll say the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. But why is it that we all believe differently? The Holy Spirit says he will lead us into all truth. But what is the facts behind that? The fact is that he will lead us into all truth pertaining to Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful that every preacher out there preaching, preaching the gospel, He's preaching that you, when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find salvation. Now, it may be part and partial of the gospel, but it's still the gospel. For 15 years, I preached a very confused message. So I want to clear up something before we start. The question of obedience and the difference between law and grace. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but I'm just going to show you what the problem really is. In James 2.26, the Bible says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead. Now, you'll notice the lowercase in the spirit here. And in the, between the Greek and the Hebrew, there are several different meanings of spirit. This one is breath. So just as the body without the breath is dead, and it certainly is, if you're not breathing, you're dead, so also faith without works is dead. And so now we get into this controversial subject about law and grace. Some preach grace, 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 and I'm thankful for that. Some people preach law. In other words, you're saved by grace, and this is what I've preached for years, you're saved by grace and kept saved by your obedience to God. Because if you really have accepted Jesus Christ, you'll become obedient. So this word obedience comes in. The commandments come in. And we know that the Jewish people had 613 different laws to tell them to get right, get, get right with God. And so we have, what is this problem here? Without works, your faith is dead. So what does the Bible mean when it says works? Does it mean that you should follow the laws? Is that what it's all about? That you should do everything you're supposed to do? Is that what it's all about? So if you're to please God, you'll, you'll walk and you'll act and you'll do the very things that God wants you to do. Is that what the Bible means by works? Well, and we can find it out in John 6, 26. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I want you to think about this for just a moment. This is the work of God. You will spend the rest of your life on planet Earth struggling with this very thing. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's very easy for us to say, yes, I'm a born-again Christian. Yes, I, I believe everything God says. And, uh, and do we really? Do we really believe everything God says? Now, it is your living faith in the one who lives in you. Christ in you 
that releases his divine action through you. It's what the Bible calls good works. It is only the life of Jesus Christ, his activity clothed within you and displayed through you. And that's displayed the way you treat people, just the way it's just displayed who you really are. This is the true meaning of walking in the Spirit. There are Christian pastors. There are Sunday school teachers and many wonderful, wonderful people who are simply tired. They're overwhelmed with this whole Christian thing. Inwardly, they feel defeated and they cry out to God, where are you? Lord, I'm empty on the inside. I don't understand it. Life is not working. It's just not working. And what's wrong with me anyway? They always turn it inwardly. What's wrong with me? What am I not doing right? What am I not believing correctly? What's wrong with me? Story after story could be told of Christians who have a very true sense of duty, love, devotion, and yet year after year, deep down in their hearts, they're hoping that maybe this will be the year that I will change. Maybe this will be it. And they are wonderful people. You would love to know them, I'm sure. And I'm talking about ordinary, average, earnest Christians. They're not hypocrites. They talk all the language of salvation, and they mean every word of it. They can repeat the text. They know them by heart. And yet, they know that there's something that you don't know about them. And deep down in their hearts, they are simply tired. Almost beyond endurance. And they say to themselves, does God really matter? They know of non-Christians who have a better marriage than theirs. They know of non-Christians where their children are much better behaved than theirs. And so they, they can't figure it out. It just doesn't seem right. They're non-believers. They don't profess to know God or want to know God. And yet it seems like their life is working out a whole lot better than theirs. Here is the truth. Many Christians want only a second-hand religion. That's all they're after. That's all they want. They neither want godlessness. They don't want that. And they're actually afraid of godliness. They don't understand what that's all about. Does that mean to be godly I have to go to church every week, during the week I have to volunteer for everything, that I can't do this, I can't do that? Is that what religion is all about? How, what does it mean to live godly? What a, I mean, what do I do? I've known of people who have left their families and they've gone out and got into one of these monasteries to just to try to figure life out. It's much easier to confront a person with his sins than it is to confront him with his sin. You see, sin is an attitude that affects a man's fundamental relationship with Christ. 
It has to do with what a man is. Whereas sins has to do with what a man, how a man acts. And all of us seem to be able to detach ourselves from what we do, from whom we, who we are. We are highly skilled in the art of self-justification. We produce many reasons why we did what we did. And it almost seems like it's heroic for some people to confess that they, they were wrong, that they had sinned, and that they are sorry. And they can do it all without admitting that what they did is a result of who they believe they are. So my question would be, and I don't want anybody to answer it, but what is your commitment to Christ? When you think of that question, I want you to think about this, and I'm going to repeat it twice. I believe that the value of your commitment to Christ will only be measured of what you believe his commitment is to you. I'll say it again. The value of your commitment to Christ will only be the measure of what you believe his commitment is to you. We already know a little bit about the commitment that he has made to us regarding our salvation. He has promised that if you asked him, if you asked him into your life, he promised you something that happened to you, and that, that was that surgery. He opened you up, took that heart of stone out, gave you a new heart of flesh, and put into that new heart of flesh the Holy Spirit, and you are rock solid at your core. You don't feel that you are, but you are. So you either have a choice. You can go by how you feel, or you can go by what God says you are. Now, you have a new heart. He cleaned your house. How did he clean your house? He's forgiven you all of your sins. You are clean on the inside. All of your sins have been forgiven. The past, the present, and the future. And whether you, those of you that were here for that meeting on confession and, and forgiveness, before you can even utter anything, your sin has already been forgiven. It's already been forgotten before you can even get it out of your mouth. Because forgiveness is not based on you asking for forgiveness. The only way we, that sin can be forgiven is through the blood. And you can read the Old Testament of the sacrificial system that led up to Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying for the sins of the world. Now you've heard me say this, those of you that have been here, you've heard me say this many times. There will be nobody lost, nobody be, will be kept out of heaven because of sin. It's only unbelief. It's not sin. The sin issued was settled 2,000 years ago. So we know that we are forgiven. We know that all of our sins have been forgotten. So to remind us, let's look at Hebrews 10, 17. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I can't tell you that there are millions of Christians who believe that at the end time, at the judgment, all of their sins are going to be brought up. And yet the Bible says, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And we all know Romans 8.1, there's no condemnation to those who are Christ Jesus. If there's no condemnation, there's no judgment. The Christian, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, when he gave you that new heart, 
when he gave you that new spirit, you pass through the judgment. The judgment is only for the wicked, and we'll go into detail when I'm next week on that. So what does this mean? It means that sin is not the issue. It means that forgiveness is something that you live in continually. You live in a forgiven state. In Ephesians 1.7, the Bible says this, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our sins, our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. So the Bible makes it very plain. But I want you to be sure of one thing. That when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you were given everything you needed. In fact, the Bible says here in 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the, two, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So here again, let's go over it. When, God, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he gave you everything pertaining to life and godliness. You already have it. The problem so much in the Christian church is we're asking, we're asking for things that we already have. We, and we keep on. And so it becomes very confusing. But the Bible says that he has given you everything pertaining to life and godliness. We are simply here on this earth maturing in Christ. We have everything. But we're going through a process of maturing. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is going to recreate us into his image. We can't do that. All of us have given it a shot. We've given it a try. It hasn't worked for us. So it's time to step back and allow God to be God. And let him do the work that he's going to do. So I'm going to just look back a little bit at the message of Christianity. In Romans 6, 6, the Bible says this, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. All right. Before we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were slaves to sin. Now, if you don't believe that, those of you that have, have children or had children, you know how true that is. I had three sons. Those boys sinned before they knew what sin was. I didn't have to teach them how to sin. I didn't have to teach them to, to have a tenter tantrum. I didn't have to do anything. They did it all on their own. The Bible says we are born in iniquity. We are born sinners. We sin before we know what sin is. But when we give our life to Christ, the Bible says that our old self, was crucified. Now, I had a very difficult time with that when I gave my life to Christ because I was waking up in the middle of the night, sweating and going through all sorts of crazy things. So I had a difficult time understanding what that would be like. Knowing this, that our old self, knowing this, he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Now, there's a lot of people that feel that they, there's two of them. There's the good and there's the bad. There's good nature, bad nature. And they seem to fight this battle within themselves. But the Bible says, no, that's not right. The old has gone. It's time for you to believe that the old is gone. The new has come. You are a new you. It is only the Spirit of God acting within you who can ever enable you to behave as God intended you to behave. And then in verse 10, the Bible says this, For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. Once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, what does the Bible mean when it says, even so, consider yourself to be dead? We know that there is a devil, there is Satan. And the Bible says in the book of Revelation that he is the accuser of the brethren. He accuses us day and night. He says to us, and you call yourself a Christian and you think that way? He accuses us of having a mixed message in our head. And we buy into it. I certainly did. When I first became a Christian, I bought into that. I wanted to tell myself I was new, but I couldn't believe what was going through my head. And so he's the accuser of the brethren. And then the Bible says this. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. So here is the truth. Our old self died. We died to sin. Do we sin? Yes, we do. Whenever we listen to the flesh, the Bible says that sin dwells within us. And so there are tendencies, whether you get over, you work too hard or you get overly tired or you eat too much or whatever it may be, there are times when we just get burdened down, we get anxious, we get irritated, all of these things, and we listen to our flesh. But the Bible says that we died to sin. So we need to remind ourselves that. That's what the Bible calls renewing of the mind. We need to remind ourselves who we are in Christ. We need to remind ourselves that Christ lives in us. And so here, here's the really good news that I think. In Galatians 2.19, for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now, in another portion of the Bible, the Bible says the law is holy, just, and good. That's what Paul said. Now here he says that for through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law was given us to lead us to Christ. It was showing us that there's no way in the world that we can do it. No way in the world. And it leads us to Christ. And then the law is holy, just, and good. But here's some more good news. In 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. I want you to focus on that for just a moment. The Bible says that if you are joined, if you've joined yourself to him, you are one spirit with him. Okay, we already know that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. So we are. We are one spirit with him. The Holy Spirit is there to counsel us, give us direction, help us, minister to us. That's the part, that's the part of the Holy Spirit that we feel and sense every day of our life. Forgiveness means that you can forget about your past. Your acceptance means that you can forget about trying to be good enough to please God because you are pleasing to God. The moment that you asked him to come into your life, you were pleasing to him. It's not based on your performance, how you act, what you do. No, we're here maturing in Christ. The Bible calls it sanctification, set apart for holy use. The Bible says that we are going through this process all the while that we are here on this earth. We are maturing, we are being sanctified while we're here on this earth. Your closeness to God means that you can forget about trying to get close to God. Right now, this very moment, you are as close to God as you will ever be in your life. Because you have Christ living in you. You cannot get any closer. 
I know that there are Christians that go from when, one seminar to another seminar to another seminar trying to find some emotional experience, trying to find something that would testify that they're okay. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ says that you're okay. You are everything he wants you to be. Do you act that way? Not all the time. No, no, you don't. But are you that way? Yes. The Bible says that you are complete in Christ. Do you feel complete? No. Do you act complete? No. Are you complete? Yes. In Christ you are. The Bible says that you're perfect forever. Do you feel perfect? No. Do you act perfect? No. Are you perfect? Yes. Yes. In your core, in your core, you are perfect. I know that there's a, there's a scripture in 1 John that used to throw me. I read that scripture and it says, if you're in Christ, you will not sin. And I thought, who in the world is that talking to? You will not sin. And it's true. You will not sin from your core. You will not sin from that heart that God has given to you. But <clears throat> here's the problem. If you do not enter into the mystery of godliness, in just a few minutes I'm going to, I'm going to address that. If you do not come into that, embrace that mystery of godliness, and allow God to work in you and through you, you're going to seek to be godly by submitting yourself to external rules and regulations, conforming to behavioral patterns that whatever church or denomination may teach you. And so you're going to set out to try to improve yourself. And I'm here to tell you, I've been a Christian for over 50 years, that's impossible. You can look good, but I'm talking about deep within you. You'll never be happy trying to improve yourself. You won't accomplish it. And so the Bible says this in Colossians 2.20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in this world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, and notice here, these are matters which have to be sure. The appearance of wisdom is self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. The Bible says beware. Of, I mean, it's going, to seem, it's going to seem right. It's going to seem right. The appearance of wisdom in self-made religion is going to seem right, but it's not right. There's only one way to live this Christian life, and that is through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the mystery of godliness? So let's read it. In Genesis 1, 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, this does not mean that man was created physically in the shape of God, because no one knows what God looks like. We do not know. We don't have any idea what God looks like. In fact, in John 1, well, let me finish this then. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, this is not that we are, that, that we are not, God does not look like us. He does not have a physical body like we do. 
In fact, in John 1.18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. No one has seen God. But the Bible says this, that God is invisible. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So the Bible proclaims that nobody has seen God, that God is invisible. The Bible proclaims that Jesus Christ is equal with the Father, what Jesus Christ never once denied. Now you may remember the story when Philip said in John 14, 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Notice what Jesus said to him. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So here we have a Bible text that says, no man has seen the Father. And then we have Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so how do we reconcile that? And this is part of the mystery. God was manifested in the flesh. Now, let's see if the Bible will explain that for us. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Having this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, it's going to be a mystery. And then he says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and even death on a cross. I want you to see if we can really grasp this. It says he emptied himself, taking the form of man, and in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as man. Now notice, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Now, Christ was God. So he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Now, look at, let's look at the solution to this mystery. We must understand that Jesus Christ, when he was here on this earth, he could be God and man at the same time. And he was. Jesus Christ was 100% God and he was 100% man. And that is a mystery. That he was manifested as a man. He emptied himself and he became a man. But this is one thing. That when we come to understand this, we'll understand our relationship to sin and to God. But he could not behave as God and behave as man at the same time. Had Jesus Christ been the source of his own godliness, because he was God, so he could do anything, but had he used that power, he would have been behaving like God, and the Bible says no one has seen God. Jesus Christ, by his own choice, had to accept the limitations upon him to allow the Father to live through him, in him, and through him. He could only behave as man. That's why the scripture is so plain. It's just that sometimes it's hard to connect the dots. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, 
I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. Jesus Christ took on the likeness of a man. He only behaved as his Father in heaven was living through him, in him, and through him. Again, the Bible says in John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. I can do nothing on my own. I hear, I judge, my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I want you to think for just a moment that Jesus Christ, when he took on humanity, he agreed, it was his choice, that he would live his life and behave only as a man, not God. But he would allow God to live his life in him and through him. Now what does God say to us? He says, it's Christ living in you, the hope of glory. So Christ is saying to us that if you will allow me, if you will give me permission, I will live my life in you and through you. And that will make all the difference in the world, how you treat each other, how you treat your husband, how you treat your children, how you treat the person, the cashier. It'll make all the difference in the world because it's Christ doing it through you, just like the Father did it through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is referred to in the Bible as the second Adam. Why? We found out that Adam, when he was born, he was born perfect. He was born with the indwelling Holy Spirit in him. He was perfect in every way. You and I were not born that way. You and I were born sinners. We sinned before we even understood what sin was. When we started getting older, maybe 10 or 12 years old, we went to a church. And the church told us that if you sin, and you sin long enough, hard enough, you're going to go to hell. You're a born sinner, and now you're told not to sin. How does that work? How does that work? And so we spend the rest of our life fighting that. When God says, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. I will give you a new heart. I will give you the Holy Spirit. And you'll be rock solid from your core. But because sin dwells in the body. Because. Because you, you are a sinner. I will change that. I will take your sins and I will forgive all of your sins, your past, your present, and even your future sins. Because the Bible says that if you do sin, I love that scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.19, I will not hold your sins against you. Why? Why did God tell us that? Because he knows that from our core, we are rock solid. We are good here. Do you realize that we were created in such a, way, such a way that we could bear the image of God without God himself becoming visible in us? This is the truth of the gospel. This is the joy of the gospel. This is the joy of the Christian life. That God created us in such a way that not only would he redeem us, 
but he would live his life in us and through us. And all he wanted us to do is give him, give him our consent. Do you see it? We participate in the divine nature. God wants you to know who you are in Christ. God says that you are complete in him. God, he is proud of you. God says that you are perfect forever. Through Christ, through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, your sins were all paid for. So you are as clean as clean can be. We can end our search of trying to get clean. We can end our search of trying to please God. We already are pleasing to God. Oh, not everything that we do. No, no. We're maturing in Christ. He says, I will recreate you into my image. I can't tell you how many times I have prayed and said, Lord, could you pick up the pace? Could you pick it up? Yes, we, we will have the struggle with belief all of our lives. But God wants us to believe it. The work that we have is to believe in him who sent him. That's our work. So we, if we believe it, trust it, we will walk in it as a process. Sanctification is a process of a lifetime. And praise God along that walk, along that walk, He's with us every step of the way. And he has sealed us into the day of redemption. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you for this wonderful truth. The truth that will set us free. The truth that you are there and you will never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you for those promises that you've given to us. We thank you, Lord, for that truth. We pray that you will meet the needs that each one of us have. You promised to do that. We rest in that promise. We thank you for that. And we pray that you will help us as we, as we embrace not only the, the wonderful plan of salvation, but the wonderful walk that we will have through the rest of our life. Bless us to this end, I pray, for I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.